episode 293 of the Sleeper and the Bust. It is your Sunday edition on a Monday. I'm Paul Spore, joined usually on Sundays by Jason Collette. Jason, how's it going, man? Yeah, it is not going too bad. Badly, poorly. My, it's better than my English. Uh, <laughs> it's a Monday night cooked dinner for uh, family, plus uh, mom and my aunt uh, were over. And uh, now i got to pack for my last business trip of 2015. Of 2015? Wow, that's that's great. Uh, Here, let's guess. Let's guess how many flights, how many planes Jason's been on this year. Planes Jason's been on. Um, Man. I'm going to say 218. You would be a little over, but not too – actually, not too far. It's about 162, okay, I believe, okay. is what my so count's going to be. So you played a full baseball season. Yes, yes. I, I, I Cal Ripken did. I played every 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 flight of the season. But, yes, about 162 different airplanes. But, uh, yeah, 2015, thankfully, will be over for me flying-wise as of Thursday night. I was probably on, like, three or four. <laughs> <laughs> not, not very many. I went to Arizona. I'm trying to think of where else I went. Please have gone somewhere else, you loser. Anyway. Um, oh, so hey, but I got, I do got, I, I do want to talk about something really quick though. So I was uh, my last business trip. I was in Kentucky. I had to go out to a school district in Kentucky, and I'm talking with the instructional technology guy who just happens to be this huge fantasy baseball fan player. Oh, really? Right? He plays. He plays in a keeper a dynasty league with Craig Mish. So I'm, you know, he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. I'm just letting him talk for a while. And I'm like, eh, where do you get your advice? And he goes, oh, I love listening to XM Fantasy and, and this and that. And I said, oh, so maybe you've heard me on the channel a little bit. And one of my colleagues who reports to me doesn't know any of this about me sitting in the back seat. So, yeah. So for the rest of the car ride, all we did was talk baseball. And, and my poor colleague in the back was just like, I, I, I don't know anything about baseball. I know, yeah, he was just like completely lost. But it was <laughs> it was good time. So, Shay, it was nice meeting you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll awesome. chat, but it was good. It was really cool. Cause most of the time I you know, never even bring it up, but somebody's like, Oh, I play fantasy baseball. I'm like, finally I can talk with somebody. <laughs> yeah. I don't bring it up. If someone else does though, I'm thrilled to, to obviously dive very deep into it. And we're going to get to dive pretty deeply into it. We got pretty lucky. Uh, we didn't go last night, just scheduled in lineup, push it till today. And instead of having one headline deal, we've got two. Otherwise, news has been a little bit light since Eno and I did the uh, the transaction extravaganza. So in that time, we have seen Jason Hayward sign, and of course today Johnny Cueto sign. Let's talk about Hayward first. It's a little bit old at this point, but we still haven't talked about it on this show. Eight years, $184 million to the Cubs, two opt-outs. Basically, it breaks down as a three-, three-, and two-year contract. You want to think of the uh, opt-outs as player options for a three-year deal and a player option for a two-year deal. You can think of it that way. Basically, they've become the norm in lieu of no trade causes. So when everyone's like ripping the team for them, like what advantage do they have? They're still better than no trade clauses. Anything's and, better than no trade clauses. Exactly, and that's what they've done. They've 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 Except switched for an STD. it to these opt-outs. That's about the only thing. I'd rather what? I'd rather have a no trade clause than an STD, but that's really about the only thing. <laughs> That I could think of, it's worse than a no trade clause for a player, or for a team rather. So team, it is, uh, yeah. yeah. And it, but isn't this where we said he was going to go anyhow? It was really lining up like that, and 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 it's a good fit. Man, are the uh, perfect fit. Are, are the freaking Cardinals fans hurting? Dude, Oof. the butt hurt. The the, the best fans hurt. St, the best fans of St. Louis. Uh, Twitter feed was on fire this Not week. A you good take look. Lack, take Lackey. You take Hayward from him. And you help your own team. This oh. is—it's a great fit because they, you know, they needed to replace Dexter Fowler no, in the perfect. line, 
and and you did that. Fowler hit leadoff. For me, I'm batting Zobers leadoff and Hayward second. I'm, and, I'm 100% and, cool and with having, that. And then having Bryant and Rizzo behind uh, behind him because we've talked about lineup protection in front and behind with in front being more, uh, you know, probably more important. Uh, and then what's behind you, Zobrist, he's not going to steal bases anymore, but he gets on base. Hayward can do the same, sets the table up nicely. I think that would be a really, really dangerous one to four. Uh, and oh you know, it's gonna throw be whatever so you sick. want behind these guys. I don't think the Cubs are done. Well, they're not uh, throwing whatever they want, though. That's the beauty. They're throwing Soler, Miguel Montero, and Addison freaking Russell. Uh, pitcher probably in between. Well, yeah, um, yeah. You said one through four. They're they're yeah. five through nine, really, because Addison Russell will probably bat nine on a lot of days. Schwarber, Soler, Montero, pitcher Russell. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. And you're right, they're probably not done. I could see an upgrade actually to the back end of that rotation, though. You left Bias. I mean, where do you play Bias? Right now, you you don't, and you don't have to. They're probably going to move him. I I could see upgrading the four or five spot via trading him. Yes, I think that that's uh, that's reasonable there. Uh, let's talk about, you know, listen, we know what it does for the Cubs. It only strengthens an already strong team. You want players on this team up and down the lineup. They'll all be desirable. They'll all come with a tax. Depending on how high the tax is, it's probably worth paying. Fantasy analysis over the Cubs lineup is good. What's going on in St. Louis now? Like I said, like we said, we know that they're really butthurt by this. Um, and honestly, you know, any fan base is is butthurt when they lose their their favorite player uh, or, or or a big player in free agency. But the reason that St. Louis fans are taking it on the chin here is because not every other fan base pretends that they're God's gift to baseball fandom. And so that's in case you're wondering, and I know it's not all you Cardinal fans. I know plenty of cool Cardinal fans. But if you're wondering why everyone's sticking it to your squad a little bit harder on these, uh, the Lackey and the Hayward moves and, and the tears that are associated with them, it's because of how that fan base is propped up. And and so, you know, take that on the chin and deal with it. But what, what are they going to do with their lineup right now, Jason? Where are they going to turn in the free agent market or are they going to dip into the free agent market or, and just go with what they've got? All right, so they went out and and made the made uh, made the move for Jed Jerko, but there's not a clear spot for him to play. Uh, in the, you know, you're looking at a platoon situation possibly with Colton Wong. Absolutely, I think that's that that's where Eno and I have him right now at at best. He's going to have to earn anything else that he gets. Right, and and rightfully so. He's terrible against left-handed pitching. I mean, he's it, for a right for a righty. You know, I remember looking at his splits. He's one of these weird guys who hits righties better than lefties. I have it backwards. Wait, no, Jer- Jerko. No, the other way. Jerko's he, a straight guy. There's yeah, somebody he, else that I wrote up this week, and it's got reverse splits. So, pardon this. Scratch that language. So, there's that. Uh, you and I are both fans of Matt Adams, but we just don't know where he, you know, where he's going to be when he comes back. I think I he could like, lose some time to Jerko too, to be honest. Possibly. Uh, you know. Uh, they could send him over there. Jerko's kind of played everywhere on the diamond at some point. He even played an inning at first base last year when San Diego was trying anybody out. I've kind of cooled on Adams, to be honest. I I just don't see the massive power upside that a lot of folks did after he had that that eight-homer month. I want to say it was maybe the 2013 season. It was an eight-homer September, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of extrapolation with that. And it's like, you know, it was just a great month. Um, and hats off to him for it but i don't think that it raised the power ceiling and so i think he is just kind of what we're seeing here which is you know over a full season which he's not going to get either because adams doesn't hit against lefties a 20 homer kind of kind of guy with a better than than normal power hitter batting average 
but nothing terribly special. So, so here, here's the other thing: when you, when you look at them, you know, you lose Hayward, but right now their depth chart. You've got you've got Holiday out there. You've got Grichuk. You've got Piscotty. You still got Brandon Moss floating around. Mm-hmm. So you still got four of those names. I mean, obviously, any either of the other two, you know, you could have either of their two could have bumped for Hayward, but. You know, do you go pursue a Cespedes with this or and then Gordon. still bump those two or Gordon, uh, would, which would be the, the better fit uh, for them? Because at first base, you've, you know, you've got Moss, you've got Adams. So if you're going to go chase Chris Davis, you, you're going to have to move one of those guys because, you know, you can't have all three of those guys at one spot because they can only play one spot in the National League. And well, there's no other spot. There's no other spot on that depth chart to touch. You're not touching third, second or short. And maybe you get another starting pitcher. You're you're fine behind the plate. And the problem with a bit. with a with the Gordon then is you're bumping Holiday uh, or Piscotty obviously uh, in terms of the pecking order and then where does right. Piscotty go? So that's not even necessarily a good fit. Honestly, if they've kind of soured on Adams um, at all, then then maybe first base is the right spot to to get the biggest upgrade because that outfield actually might be kind of set at least to start. The problem is. You probably can't bank on a full season out of Holiday, and Grichik had some of his uh, injury issues last year as well. Do you buy any of what we saw from Tommy Pham? It was 173 plate appearances, but is it legit at all? I think when you, if you could use him in, in certain capacities, then yes. If you could set him up for success, some guys are play well in part-time because you use them advantageously. Absolutely. If you, you, know, if you use them use them over but i mean there's a reason why he turns 28 at the start of the season there's a reason why the guy had been in the upper level of the mi- upper levels of the minors for the past six seasons dang yeah he's got uh 699 plate appearances at triple a 537 at double a here's the thing i don't know if it's injuries or not but even spending all that time at the upper minors he isn't even playing that much either so you're right there's not uh, a ton here with Tommy Pham to expect that he's necessarily going to be great. That's why I said you got to be careful with these 173 plate appearances. One season of more than 400 plate appearances. One. There's probably a reason for that. He's he's a bench guy. I think you're right. You give him too much playing time, you overexpose him for sure. Um, all right, I think we got that kind of covered right now. Cardinals, they're kind of in a tough spot anyway, even bringing Hayward back. Uh, obviously, they were comfortable with that. They offered him the big money. They would have figured it out from there. 26 years old, they should have been. No, no, I'm surprised yeah, there wasn't 100%. more action on. I'm surprised. You know, kudos to the Cubs for getting a creative deal done, but there should have been more action on this. I think so too, but I understand. Like, I guess it it is new though, paying that kind of money for a guy who doesn't have the traditionally good numbers. And I'm not saying that I don't think he he deserves it. I'm a huge Hayward backer, and I totally understand. But you are betting on uh, on on future production here because the defense, obviously, we know that that's what fades fastest: defense and speed. And those are the two things that are kind of carrying his war right now because right. the offense, it's not bad it's always been above average except for that 2011 season but it's not 184 million dollars worth so the offense needs to make up for any of the defensive and speed regression as he gets into his mid-20s and then low 30s I tend to think it will with Hayward but I understand why some clubs might not have been willing to bet that uh that that said I, I guess I'm just arguing on the semantics of how many teams you think should have been involved I think a few more probably should have been you know there probably should have been five or six teams vying for it as opposed to maybe 10 or 15 because i can understand some of the trepidation but i thought some of the more um statistically oriented teams and and again everyone's using statistics but some are more inclined to do it 
I thought some of the more statistically oriented teams would have been in on this a little bit more. Right, and he's 26 years old, and that's the thing. That's you the beauty of it. Year. And when you, when you look at him, I mean, personally, I think he's in for a huge 2016. We know that he can. We know he's got 20 home run power, even though he's only done it once. He's done it. Yeah, and we know he can steal 20 bases because he's done that three times. Absolutely. And you know, he he's he scored 93 runs back in 2012, and if he hits second in that lineup with Zobrist in front of him and, the, and that Thunder behind him, he's going to eclipse that. He's going to hit for a good batting average, and is he could be a five-category player because I, we're I, talking I about with Zobrist in front of him and a non-pitcher hitting ninth. He's got opportunities to drive in runs, to score runs, to steal bases, to hit with power and hit for average. It, it's it's like me. It's going to be 25 bucks is going to be the low end for him in, in a draft. If I'm in an NL, if I'm in a mix, 20, but I'm thinking like NL only. If I, you know, we just got Tout Wars email today. Uh, so if yes. I'm in NL Tout Wars, somebody dump, dumps it. I'm like 20. By the way, I nominated you for one of the live drafts. So, yeah. uh, yes, I said I said I have to nominate Paul. He's my brother from another mother. So yes. uh, he's being nominated. Consider this. I think I send the same thing in every year. That, but, that'd be uh, great. <laughs> uh, I'd, get to go to, I'd get to go to New York and be part of the part of the big show out there. I know. I you know should come anyhow. I know you're, you're damn right. I should. Uh, that, that's 100 percent. So you're saying at least 25 out the gate and then they'll only I, I can get behind that. Again, I am a Hayward backer. All I'm saying is I understand some of the trepidation that some of these teams might have had going on an eight year deal when you do look at the offensive numbers and they certainly don't jump off the page. Right. Um, all right. Let's move on to Cueto. Uh, he signs a big deal with San Francisco. Six. Uh, six years, 130 mil. So that's 10 mil more than uh, we heard about the what was it, six 120 from the Diamondbacks? He turned down. We said he was stupid to turn that down. Hey, we thought, now we're stupid. <laughs> we thought he was, and uh, we're the stupid ones. That's all right. That happens sometimes, every once in a while, because uh, he gets six 130 and he gets to go to a, an amazing spot. You know, I raved when Samarja went there, and Samarja didn't even pitch well last year. Of course, I'm going to rave when somebody who's actually really good right now uh, is going to go there, and that's where Cueto's going to go. This seems like a perfect fit for his game uh, because I feel like at his best, he's not even concerned with getting any strikeouts. And in a park like this, we could see, we could honestly see a couple Maddoxes, which for those unfamiliar is a, is a complete game in 99 pitches or fewer. And I feel like we could see some of those from Cueto in this ballpark on the right day. I really like this fit. Um, oh yeah. There's a two year opt out by the way for him. I feel like we have to mention that again. Their tra- teams are trading opt-outs for no trade causes. I think it's the right move. I understand that inherently there isn't too much value to it, but maybe he beasts out for the next two years. Again, same what we talked about with Price. And at that point, he's Johnny Cueto, and it's a little bit different. Durability hasn't always been his calling card. Even in the seasons when he goes through a full season, there's still kind of these bumps and hiccups and concerns. He'll be right. 32. Maybe they're fine with it. Even if they get two excellent years out of him, you know they're winning the World Series this year. That's already on the books. Yep. So maybe they get a second World Series from him in 2017, and he bids them adieu, and then they're not paying a mid-30s Johnny Cueto. Again, it's it's a small chance that it even happens because the Giants will probably be interested in him. But these aren't completely devoid of team value. That's the only thing I want to stress. What do you think of Cueto to San Francisco? The only thing that concerned me is a lot of the points you just made were the same points we were making when he was traded to Kansas City. That's this true. is and a perfect ballpark for him. This is a perfect lineup for him. He's not going to care about strikeouts, and he pretty much sucked. He did. He did not pitch well. But <laughs> I will say that's, kinda, that's my concern. 
Here's the biggest thing, though. That was league to league. That was that was NL to AL, and I grant that right. they're they're not the disparity isn't the same um, as it's been in past years. In fact, I think you can make a case that there isn't too much disparity in the numbers, but that doesn't mean that he's going to go there and automatically perform to those numbers because he doesn't know those guys. So I, I, I will give him a little bit of a break for that while mm-hmm. fully accepting your point. He did not pitch well there. The home runs spiked. The strikeouts went down. Yeah, we, we were maybe right that he was going to try to be more efficient, but it didn't work. He wasn't getting strikeouts because he wasn't fooling guys. So I hear you with that on Cueto. I just I, I like San Francisco. I like getting him back into the NL. I'll take a shot on at least one share of him. He costs a lot, so um, I'm not going to overinvest in somebody like this. I never will anyway, even just because I'm always concerned about his health. But I will have at least one Johnny Cueto share in San Francisco. I just love what they've got going out there with pitchers. So, yeah, I'm going to have plenty of Samarja shares and at least one Cueto. Yeah, I threw I threw a lot of money down on him in last year in free agent once he made it and it just didn't pan out. I mean, I decided everybody else is going to go chase the other guys. I'm going to take him because I thought it was just a good fit. You know, you brought up Samarja and I haven't been able to listen to the show. I don't know what you guys talked about, but one of the things I can't I can never get over with Samarja the fact that he's only won double digit games one time. It's kind of crazy. And his strikeout rate has gone down four consecutive seasons. Now, you know, baseball is not linear and you know, that could easily come back up, especially with the move to the uh, National League. But four straight years of, of strikeout um, decline in his rate. And then he's he's solid for 13 losses. Just put him down. But he's done that four straight seasons now. Uh, but the double digit wins just one time, despite the fact that he started 33, 33 and 32 games. But in uh, no way, shape, or form was 2014 seven-win season his fault. Oh no, the Not Cubs were two and seven for him. I mean, he was two and seven with the Cubbies. Oh, awful. He, had ter- he was the Shelby Miller of 2014. Absolutely, you're damn right. And then he gets on a good team, grinning ear to ear when the trade happens. You know, couldn't be happier. Going to get some run support. Five and six with Oakland. Yeah. Pardon me. Um, and then the other two years that he was starting, the Cubs were terrible. So that's been part of it, too. He's just been on bad teams. But I'll accept the other point. I will accept the point about the the declining strikeout rate. There's really no counter to that. It's been going down. And then last year's was bad, 6.9. That's bad. Again, the price is at a point right now where I have no problem investing, though, because even if it flops again, I'm not out any, any real investment. Last year when it flopped, it really hurt. So I guess I'm just trying to – what's that, chasing uh, bad money with good or whatever that fra- – throwing good money after bad. Maybe that's what I'm doing, but right. it's so much cheaper to do it that I, I, I just have to. I have to. So I, I will have some Samarja shares because I feel like he can come back. I still feel like he can be a high-quality power pitcher, and I love the defense and the park and the league upgrade that he gets. Again, however scant it might be going from AL to NL, but he knows the NL a lot better too. So – I think he and Cueto are, are, are a nice boon for the Giants. And I hope and I, the Cueto defense. I hope the defense plays for Cueto as it should have in Kansas City. I, yeah, I agree because a Duffy, it, Craw- a Duffy Crawford panic belt infield. It Ooh. could be special for him with that uh, sixty or uh, fifty plus ground ball rate that he's had uh, in past years. You know, got up to forty three percent last year, or got went down to forty three percent last year. He he was kind of losing himself and and. It was particularly with Kansas City that we started to see the issues. The strikeout rate was just 16% with them. I don't know how healthy he was. That's obviously going to be the primary risk with Cueto again this year and always going to be the scare. But again, I think you got to at least get one if you're a multi-league player. 
All right, the next handful of moves are uh, a bit smaller, but they've got some fantasy impact. So uh, especially this one. This one wouldn't have even gotten on the board if we if we hadn't got the news that we got today. It's Steve Ciszek signing a two-year deal with Seattle, two years, 10 mil. But we heard from DePoto today that he's going to close. And I think – I want to say Eno and I mentioned it, but that we thought Benoit should close so that it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. Maybe we didn't. Maybe I dreamt that. But either way. This is what it is right now. Ciszek's going to start his closer. He kind of rejuvenated himself with St. Louis. I don't know how he turned down St. Louis. They have 11 <laughs> titles. Sorry, there's an article written that looked like uh, uh, you know someone who got friend-zoned uh, writing a letter to the, <laughs> his crush or something. Uh, anyway, and he kind of got back on track with St. Louis. You know, ERA was better. There were bouts of, of the uh, velocity being back up. It still wasn't great. He walked too many guys. Nothing yeah. suggests that he's hundred percent back on track. If you only look at the uh, the ERA with St. Louis, sure, it was a 231, but it was a 133 whip and only 7.7 strikeouts. And as I mentioned, five walks. So not everything is fixed here. Why would you go with him over Benoit or are they being progressive and they're putting their lesser guy at closer knowing that Benoit needs to be – Benoit and Furbush need to be their righty-lefty guys who really win the game in the sixth through eighth innings. Do we give DePoto enough credit for that or do you think he's just making a mistake with C-Shack here? No, I don't think – I don't give him the credit because he didn't do anything like that with Anaheim. You know, he okay. insisted on saving Houston Street for the ninth inning. What if he – Yeah, that kind of thing. It didn't seem like they did anything else. What if he believed that Joe Smith was the better – Reliever. No, I'm just playing uh, complete devil's advocate at this point. Uh, I mean, the other thing there, well, the other thing to that point is Benoit is not a guy that you can put out there back-to-back days. I mean, it's, it's something that's long uh, dogged him. He doesn't do that many back-to-back. He, well, he usually a pitches a day, needs a day off. He's Yeah, he's, you know, a million years old. Uh, so that's kind of the issue in the C-Shack. I guess after you've suffered with Fernando Rodney a couple of years, anything this looks, looks better. looks great. Okay. Okay. Right? You know what? And, that's and, and you and I, You and I love C-Shack going into last year, and, and he did. completely crapped the bet on us. We, and we totally made us. But he had done four straight years of good work and then two years of excellent work and then just – We praised just St. Awful. Louis for picking him up too, by the way. So we are C-Shack backers. I'm glad you, you brought that up. We're not trying to say we always thought he sucked or anything. I just don't see anything yet that says he's repaired, and that worries me. Correct. Yeah, it just for me, this is this is not a, somebody I'm targeting, even though I've liked him in the past. It, let's, let's AL. There's no way I'm paying $10 for oh, uh, him. Uh, even if way, he, even if it's a full time closer, I am not paying ten bucks for that. We've already talked about that, uh, how stacked it is, and it got more stacked in the interim. Obviously, Giles is there. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, Madsen could be closing for Oakland if, if it's not Doolittle. Uh, I think Kimbrel was there when we first discussed it, but the AL closer is so freaking loaded. It's absolutely ridiculous. In an AL only. Somebody like a Sushek should cost nothing. He should be like the last. I'd take Tolleson ahead of him. I actually kind of like Tolleson a little bit. But I, they're, they're trying to upgrade that so he might not even be the closer. So be careful of that in early drafts um, if you're looking at guys like Tolleson because he could be replaced. They don't seem to have as much confidence in him as you and I do. Let's talk about the uh, Unel Escobar trade. Again, another small move here. He gets moved out to uh, L.A. to be with the Angels. Utility infielder, you know, had a big, uh, big season last year with a big 314 average with 5,000 five-hit games. I swear he was getting five hits in, uh, in DFS for somebody every other night. Um, 
347 batting average on balls in play, far and away a career high among full seasons. He had a 364 in his very first season, a 94-game effort with the Braves. Other than that, he's been kind of a, a low 300s, upper 200s kind of guy, good for a career 306. Was this just a hot BABIP year, or is there some more juice in this bat uh, for Yunel Escobar? He has been one of the more frustrating players to see because if I you agree. look at if you look at him, he's built, he's jacked, right? Oh, he should he should have double digit homers every year without trying. And how many years has he done it? Three out of like three, 10. and he hasn't done it since 2011. He has nine seasons and he's done it three times. Yeah, I agree with you. He built extre- that's why you can't always just do it about how they look because a lot of these guys look like they should be hitting 20 easily. I can't believe. And I know he's got three seasons of nine, so if I'm using a 10 threshold, I guess he's getting there. But maybe I should say 15 because he does look yoked. He's 6'2", 220. He is a, he's big. He puts on a show in batting practice. He swings a heavy bat, and I ultimately think that's his issue because he swings a big – Big yeah, swinging that stick. tree trunk. Brandon Inge yeah. did that, and then uh, for a while it looked like it looked like a kid was struggling with a, a, a tree trunk, and then he got that that surge there in his mid twenties, where he actually hit for power and it worked for him. But uh, we're talking about a thirty three year old in Yunel Escobar. There's no surge coming. No, no. Here's a couple things with him. You know, he actually, you know, you hear a lot of people say you don't walk off the island. You know, but for him, he takes a lot of walks and he also doesn't strike out. He's an extreme contact hitter. So he is at the mercy of the BABIP gods. And we've seen if you look at his batting average and balls in play, if it gets over 300, he has a good average. If it doesn't, he has a poor average because he's not fast. That's the one thing is he's not a really good base runner. So but he hits the ball hard. He made he doesn't have the loft. But he hits line drives, he gets those, and that's the thing. So it really falls down to the Babbitt gods because he puts a lot of balls in play. I mean, we're talking his, his career strikeout rate is 11 and a half. Wow. Yeah, 11, 11 and a half and, and 9%, uh, 9% walk rate. That that's, that's great plate skills. You really like to have that. You've nailed it right there. 253, 256, 258 in the three years before 2015, and that was with a 273, 281, 282 BABIP. So basically it just kind of comes down to what you think. Uh, you know, you got to kind of plan for a three a 300 BABIP. His career is 306, um, and then a 280 average, and take anything above that as gravy, and anything below that, you just kind of got unlucky, but I think you can reasonably plan for that because of how often this guy puts the ball in play. Do you like him at all in LA? I know it's kind of a weird team right now. No, but- I don't. I really don't. I mean, it's kind of, it really is a weird team. Very weird. I mean, team. the issue is going to be, it's going to be fun to watch he and uh, Andrelton Simmons on the left side of the infield together because both of them have got cannons. I mean, Escobar can throw. Oh, and, yeah. you know, he's, he's going to he's going to stick at third base unless something happens to Simmons that he could play. But it's going to be fun to watch those guys making throws from the left side of the infield. Does that um, boost you up for somebody like a Garrett Richards then who's got that great ground ball rate and, and can really give those guys a lot of work? I, I don't know what Escobar's – I mean, it depends on the year and maybe his attitude about his defensive range. Because, I mean, 2013, he was phenomenal watch. And then he went in 2013 – the Rays gave him an extension early in 2014. And all tank. of a sudden, his back pocket got heavy, and he, he lost two steps. And he lost two steps in the field. Well, so when you, you carry know, those wads Nationals, of cash. Yeah, the Nationals moved him over to third base. And, I mean, you look at the metrics, they don't – they aren't very kind to him. Uh, but – 
who knows? He could show up and be like, I'm ready to be, I'm ready to move again. But with well, plus, Simmons, he's not going to have to. Bingo. I was going to say, <laughs> you don't need quite as much range. So as long as he's getting to the ones that are, are hit at him and maybe some a little bit around him, show a little bit of range and use that hose, you know, for those ones down the line and things like that. You got you got to like that. Simmons alone obviously enhances the outlook uh, for their ground ball guys. Here's what I do like. Here's what I do like. I do like uh, Escobar hit him leadoff. Uh, that's you look at that lineup. He's right the that only guy. Question. He's the only guy that can get on base. Everybody, yeah, obviously trout aside, but you're looking at the top. There's no way you put Simmons in the top of the lineup. He's a bottom of the lineup batter. Um, the left field contingency, whatever. You know, you tried Cole, Cole Calhoun last year. That didn't work out. Put Escobar until he hits his way out of it. Put him lead off. Then I do like him. He's not going to run. He's not going to steal, but he's going to hit for a high average. He's going to hit. He's going to score runs if he can stay in the top of that lineup. Okay, so we do have there. There is a scenario where it's not too bad. Then, if they do go ahead and bat Yunel Escobar leadoff, we've got a little bit more interest in him. Probably as a corner, third base is pretty deep. You don't want him be in your starting uh, corner or, or starting third base. You put him in that corner slot. Let me see if he qualifies at short. No, he was pretty he much primarily third, third last base. year. It was all third base. But that's the thing. I mean, if he doesn't hit the top lineup, he's a one category player. Yeah, but if he, he doesn't if drive he does, in enough corner he's not going to score enough down the bottom of that lineup and this, the home runs and steals aren't there he's got to hit it truly if they say hey, he's going to hit in the bottom half of the lineup he becomes end game material for me I, I i fully agree i fully agree there all right this next one uh actually no this next one's not that thrilling to me but the next the one after that's a little fun because i think something crazy could happen as drupal cabrera uh, joins kind of, uh, you know, a, a cluster for the Mets, but he is he does have the lead. They signed him to be a starter, so he's going to play short uh, for the Mets. What do you think of Asdrubal Cabrera? I know that again, you've got decent experience with him. You watched him play for a full season on your favorite club as well. Um, interested at all? At, you know, st- starting shortstop on a decent ball club uh, of the Mets, probably batting toward the bottom of the lineup though. Where are you at on on Asdrubal? I mean, I like his overall numbers were crap last year. I mean, if you look at if I go back and, and say, let's look, there was a point last year I was fully in support of him being DFA'd. So we go into about Father's Day weekend and he was hitting 199 with a 308 slug. All right. Wow. That's what he was hitting. That's what he was hitting going to Father's Day weekend. So the overall numbers, again, look like look like ass because they were ass. But then we then we go and we pick up. uh Oops, wrong one. Sorry. Uh, then we go and we start right around start on Father's Day, and then Which we look was? at Father's Day for the rest. of I'm, I'm just saying June 18th. Okay. He had a two hit game on June 18th, and because I, I was there, that's why I was. I remember the game because I was there in the Nationals, uh, and he hit 317 with a 525 slug the rest of the season. <sighs> that's for but eight, that gets asked because he was so terrible, so so terrible for the first 75, 80 games. But that's how he finished. 12 That's homers, strong. 43 drip, 317, 357, 525 the rest of the way. So the overall numbers were bad, but uh, he really should stick to the left side, the switch hitting thing. He's one. He's another one of these guys who are like, dude, please stop switching. Give it hitting. up. Yeah. Please. It's just, he's not the same guy. It just, it kind of drives me nuts when watching these guys. We've talked about it so many times. Like, stop switch hitting these remember guys. Remember that as Drupal Cabrera has a 25 homer season. Do you remember that? Vaguely. 2011, 25 homers, 92 ribbies, 17 stolen bases, 87 runs, and a 273 average, which was probably just 
blah, not, not great. We weren't quite in the uh, offensive dirt that we're in now where 273 is actually kind of hot. Uh, but that's still an amazing season. Even even he could have hit 253 in, the, in those counting categories. That's hot. That's, that's what kept him interesting for these last four years that there's somebody in your league, usually Eno. Um, or I, and I've been a fan of him myself in the past because the price just isn't very high for this shortstop who's going to get you double-digit homers and a handful of steals. I think that that's the low end. And maybe he maybe he's a little bit better this year, but he's 30. I'm not expecting anything too different. Uh, well, at least but, he's playing second. He won't be playing short. Uh, are you sure? I, I, Neil Walker's going to be playing second. Oh, I'm thinking Flores. Yeah, never mind. So, yeah, he will be playing. Uh, I mean, the other thing, when I'm talking about him not being able to hit right-handed, really, he's got no power right-handed. He hits for average right-handed, but it's empty. But if you want all that of his power, power, all of his power comes from the left side. Okay. Well, as Dribble, you've been given your mandate, stop switch hitting. We like to tell a lot of guys to stop switch hitting because um, I think sometimes we're right on that. That one, that one, it seems like guys carry that on longer than necessary. And I get why you'd want to be a switch hitter, but if you can't actually do it, then are you actually a switch hitter? All right, we got two more things here, real quickly. Mark Reynolds to Colorado. This was my. Ooh. This was the fun one. This is just intriguing. He doesn't even have a starting role as it There's. stands right now because <laughs> Nolan Arenado is obviously taking third. But Ben Paulson's currently the guy who slotted in first base. That's going to be a straight platoon. So he's at least going to bat against lefties. Can he hit 25 homers even in limited playing time because he's playing in Coors Field? You've got to get him a lot of playing time though, and you're not playing him in the le- you're not playing him in the outfield. You can't. He got 433 plate appearances. He got 432 last year, only hit thir- 13 homers, but got 433 the year before and hit 22 homers, and that was Where in Milwaukee. I mean, he you can't put him in the outfield. I mean, I know this is a terrible team year in and year out. But you can't put him in the outfield. You can't not in that fast outfield. It would be an absolute disaster. Um, by the way, right. you you need to go to ML, go to the Rockies depth chart page on MLB.com okay. and just look at Ben Paulson's picture. Okay, now I'm excited. Um, uh, by the way, since but no, he's not hitting 25. He's not getting enough playing time. That that's that's like I said, pipe dream sort of stuff. That's fair, and I I, I agree really. Uh, but speaking of of remembering guys. Remember that Mark Reynolds had a 44 homer, 102 RBI, 24 stolen base season? Do you remember that? Uh, <laughs> that was 2009. That was such an awesome remember, season. I, what I remember, my favorite Mark Reynolds story, uh, there was a back when. Uh, <laughs> I just saw Ben Paulson sing. Isn't that great? <laughs> The uh, there was a there was a website back in the day uh, at at the plate. I remember JDM and, and it had like minor league stats and people would like volunteer to like comb league stat league and run a box scores. And I remember I had the Southern League one year uh, and Mark Reynolds and I believe Dan Ugla were both in the league at the same time. But I remember having Mark Reynolds and like writing and then doing a, a prospect thing somewhere. And I said, look, this dude plays everywhere. The Rockies were clearly trying to find somewhere to play his bat because he was playing every position uh, in the minor leagues. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot on the power. And I think I had him for two bucks that year in oh, 2009. Yeah. Oh my God. That's I picked insane. him up because it was like, okay, yeah, here. Uh, and he ended up, I had him cheap. I think that might've been the last year of the deal, but I ended up picking him up. But I remember looking at he and Dan Ugla and I had Dan Ugla cheap too, because when he was a rule five pick, I'm like, this guy was tearing up the sudden league. I'll, I'll pay a buck for him. And I nobody got, did. <laughs> I got Dan Ugla uh, his first year as a speed acquisition. Me and my friend, we had a team together and it was NL only late pick. I said, this guy 
had some speed in the minors, and I was never a huge minor league guy. I, obviously, I, I've admitted even now that I kind of only go as, as, as deep as double-A in season. Um, but, I, you know, I, I looked, and I was like, you know, this guy had some speed. We need some speed. Let's just take him. Well, he only got six stolen bases, but 27 homers for our $2 investment. Uh, it was great. It was it would never be that good again though. He'd have more homers, but never right. with a 282 average again. Actually, nope. you know what? That that 2010 season was 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 dope. Uh, 33, 105, and 287. Yeah, I guess the rest of the episode is just us reminiscing on um, early 2000s players that had good seasons uh, or something. I, I, I guess I, you know what that's what it's turned you, into. You talk about you talk about his 2009 season. Reynolds, 44 homers, 102 ribbies, 24 stolen bases. I can't help but overlook his 2011 season when he had a negative 29.6 defensive war. <laughs> negative, negative 29.6. That's unbelievable. That, that's, more, that, that's, that's lower. I mean, his offensive war in that big season was 24.1. His defense was a, almost a negative 30. That is unbelievable. <laughs> like, you're do, you, you hit a home run. You go back out on the field and you boot two balls real fast. Like, <laughs> well, he had, 30, he had 37 homers that year, scored 84 times, drove in 86, and his war was uh, one one tenth above replacement. <laughs> yeah, that was for the O's. He was a point one war with a 37 <laughs> homer season. Now, to me, you know, I that probably gets people mad about war. Well, how can you say 37 homers and and he's point one war, dude? Because there's other sides to the game, and he was a unbelievably bad fielder like that's historically bad and to boot he was a poor runner minus minus 1.6 for that as well so um yeah mark reynolds has some comically interesting seasons when when you've got that kind of strikeout and power and defensive ineptitude you mix it together it's really interesting and uh in some cases really bad all right, uh, Jason, we got one more thing that I want to get your thoughts on, just because it's, it's, it's an amendment to something that Eno and I talked about. We talked about that Ken Giles trade, um, and we spoke you know, about Derek Fisher being a piece in it. Well, he's no longer a piece uh, going in that deal. Now it's Mark Appel, and there are a couple other guys who are uh, lower-level minor guys that I'm not – terribly familiar with if not, if one of them needs to be spoken about you guys can let me know in the comments and i'll get eno or jason's thoughts but mark appell is still an interesting um if for no other reason than he's then he's a one one overall in the second we had traded in the span of like a week so what do you think of mark appell now being part of that deal and going to philly obviously it hasn't gone as planned but do you see any hope? And if if so, what's the realistic upside? Not don't give me the well. He's a one-one, so he could definitely be an ace at some point. Because I know you don't believe that. What do you think is the realistic upside for Mark Appel at this point? Uh, who am I thinking? Not not Mark Pryor 2.0. That's the realistic downside of him. Um, realistic upside. I'm trying to think. Closer. Okay. I mean, people have said three like plus that. pitches. I'm like, okay, but you know, he would. This is not how this should have worked out. The fact that he's no. in this trade, the fact that he's the second one-one traded in a week, is just still stunning. So, I mean, you can excuse you can ex excuse the Diamondbacks for trading Dan Danzby Swanson because clearly they had a big, big, you know what for for Granky, but to do uh, you know for the Velasquez for the Astros, I mean. 
for other organizations, they've been like, oh my God, what are you doing? But the Astros clearly have stockpiled a lot of assets. But that's true. For for Appel, it's, it's really a change of scenery thing. It, it could work out for the Phillies. It's an ideal situation for him because he'll get the pitch. If he that's, if his goal is maybe he's like, uh, you know, I just want to be in the major leagues. Well, yep. now like, you got your chance now. Uh, so it, it could work out. I mean, the velocity is still there, but it's just a matter of everything being there at the same time. Uh, you know, there was the whole thing about him coming to, you remember the whole story about him yes. coming to the, Ast- coming up to the park, coming up to the park to work and nobody knew about it. And maybe there was just some behind the scenes stuff there that was like, okay, enough's enough. He's got to go. But I mean, they, they needed to get Giles. I, when it comes down between that and, and the position player, I'd rather keep the position player. I mean, Derek Fisher, oh, you yeah, know, I think this is an upgrade for Houston in that respect for sure, because Fisher was getting some good buzz as, as a real hidden gem of this deal that could burn right. them um, even, you know, even more so than Velasquez. Although I, I, I think he's, he could be a great return for Philly and I've gushed over him enough already, but um, I hear you on a pelt. Now, the one thing I'd ask, and again, I don't even know how fair, you know, those sorts of things are when they're talking about kind of that mentality, intestinal fortitude stuff. I've never met the guy, so I don't know, but do you think he has kind of that mentality that you do need for the ninth inning? It's one thing to have the skill, but yeah. I think we have seen over the years that, not literally anyone can do it. Uh, most guys can do it, and, and a lot of guys should be given a shot who aren't in terms of relievers, but I don't think literally anyone can do it. If you can pitch, you can close the ninth. I don't think that's right. the case. Do you think somebody like Appel can do it? Uh, something's got to change. But my thing is he has not had any success at all as a pro. No, You look at all throughout the minor leagues, and there's a problem at every single one of his stops. That's true. He, you know his best his best ERA in a season is 379. <laughs> you know what I'm looking at. It's just like he's never had. And I think maybe you know as high school obviously stud, college stud. You know you're picked one one a spot ahead of Chris Bryant. I mean for all the for all the people that give the Rays the whole Tim Beckham over Buster Posey. How about Mark Appel <laughs> over Mark Appel over Chris Bryant? Right. Uh, I know, think that's it's really working out. <laughs> Appel hasn't officially failed yet. That maybe they're still you know, b- banging on the Beckham over Posey thing. But yeah, that's going to be right up there in terms of he's got 250 whoops. innings. He's got 250 innings of minor league experience, more hits than innings pitched, a five, uh, fewer, fewer strikeouts. Yeah, and, and the thing is, but he's been in some bad locations, man. Lancaster that's true. is the, the worst place for anybody to pitch. You see that nine, seven, four ERA. That to me is the whole mental thing there, because that is an absolute horrendous place to play baseball. Uh, you know, the Astros would love to get out of there. Cor- Corpus Christi, not so bad, but you know, the suddenly the Texas League has got its issues. Yes. Then he was back there. Then he was in Fresno in the PCL, which we know has its issues. So oh, you know, and the that, PCL and, at large, absolutely. Right, but then you know, going to Philly's not going to be the best thing either. Uh, in that you regard, go to the majors so, anywhere. Honestly, if it, yeah, th- I think it kind of goes back to that thing though. If if you're gonna and I'm not saying we're not saying that he's blaming it on the park, but you can give him a little bit of a break there. But if that's what he's going to hang his hat on and he's one of these guys who says, I just need to get to the majors and that's where I'll thrive. I don't know, man. It's not going to get any easier in the majors. So so we'll, well see the the the. The Astros are going to be a lot better than the Phillies over the next three to five years. Agreed. And, you know, that's not a situation. Appel would have had to have done a lot to bang bang down that door to get into the, the spot for the Astros. Versus for the Phillies, dude, just show up. Just show up. Show yeah. up. Just show up and throw strikes. You're going to get a job. Just be there on time. And maybe that's what it takes. Maybe that's what it takes for him to take off. But 
there's no, there's going to be no pressure on him because the Phillies fans are like, you know, whatever we got you. We don't need the club. We didn't need the, you know, we don't need Ken Giles. We got Velasquez. We got you. We got the other two guys, you know, well, let's the, see the, what happens. Let's see what you got. My Phillies so friends sure. are really excited about it. Some Phillies fans are pretty upset about Giles, not realizing that they don't need a closer right now. I get that he's exciting and awesome. That's why we drafted him so highly last year, but uh, it's not a necessity for a bad ball club. So yeah, I agree with you. He throws a hundo. I get why they took. I get why they took a chance here on a Pelly. Take a shot on a one-one. See if you can get anything out of it, you know. Um, and and that that totally works. But I think it, I think it's time to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, we'll be back again, Eno and I, at least one time before the Christmas break. You and I probably won't speak again unless there's just a ton of stuff and we have to get together. I imagine that our next one would be after Christmas because Eno and I will probably do something later this week and then all of next week would be would be off for the holidays. So that could be uh, stinking quiet. And Joy besides here. we got our baseball forecasters to read. Mine showed up in the mail today. I went looking for mine and it wasn't there and you better believe I'm hunting down that mailman every day. <laughs> Charlotte and I basically stood there waiting for him to finish. Uh not too creepily, but I'm like, dude, you putting it in and then wasn't even in the mailbox. So I will be there tomorrow at 1.30 when he shows up, not that I remember the time, and I better have my damn forecaster because I wrote in it, and I want to read what I wrote because I, I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> so find my find my player profiles and let me know what you think of them, Jason. Yeah, I, I, I shall try to pages. I did, yep. do, I did like 60 for the Rotowire magazine. I did a handful of those too, folks, and you try to figure out which ones of those I wrote. And if you can guess all of them, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Except for in the uh, forecaster, because my name is attached to those. I don't think my name will be attached to the Rotowire ones, not specifically. No, they typically aren't. They typically aren't. Oh yeah, and by um, oh, this is like off-air stuff. 